Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, I will invite a guest on to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. Musicians, podcasters, audio engineers, or anyone with a passion for creating quality audio content needs the right equipment to make it happen. Look no further than Zounds. Zounds is the perfect place to get everything you need at a good price, delivered right to your home. Guitars, keyboards, microphones, amps, anything you need, Zounds has it. Please use the link in the show notes for the best music equipment sales online. Joining me today is writer, podcaster, and content creator, Meryl Klamau. Yay. Did I say that right? Very close. Klimo, but you did 80% better than most people. I'm a bad host because I didn't ask beforehand. I should. You're not. And as a podcaster myself, we, it's so funny because we do the introductions to our guests separately because it is such a weird thing to do that we, we do it like just in a corner by ourselves. So you did great. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Meryl is the co-host and co-producer of Campfire Shit Show, a weekly comedy podcast with her podcast partner, Bo Hufford. You know it. Meryl is the co-founder of Pre-Canceled Apparel and also works at several podcast production companies in numerous roles, including copywriting, talent booking, and project management. Welcome, Meryl, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I have not, I've always just done it live kind of thing. That's great. <laughs> yeah, we always do the intro like by ourselves just because it's so awkward, but, but we love that. Okay, Meryl, well, let's jump right into this. What album would you like to bring to the table and why is it special to you? Okay, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> um, live, the band Live's, I think 1994 release, if I'm correct, of Throwing Copper. And you look, I'm not going to make a judgment, but you kind of look a little bit in my age <laughs> category. So I'm guessing you've heard of this album before. Uh, this album had a big place in my my high school years. Yes. Definitely. Yes. I think it was one of those ones like Green Day or, you know, Alanis Morissette, who's another one of my favorites. But I think we all had it in our CD sleeve. But to me, I picked it because it just stands out as so much more. And I think, I mean, we'll go into this, but I think like, Ed, the lead, Ed Kowalczyk, the lead singer, as a lyricist, just was really ahead of his time and the way that he wove a lot of like Eastern philosophy into these lyrics that made it on rock stations, you know, where people were just singing along and didn't really look further into it. And then the stuff that he was writing about was really ahead of his time. And I think almost forecasts like how we are today in society. So you know, we'll go into it, but, but the album like really, truly changed my life and further set me on my career, you know, the career I do now. And it, it was just a very pivotal um, CD and, and really like a moment for me. That's great. That's great that it set you on that path. Uh, I was one of those guys in high school that was, yeah, just humming along, not paying too much attention to the lyrics. I mean, cause these songs were everywhere. They were. They definitely- heavy, heavy radio, heavy MTV. Uh, you really couldn't escape the, the tracks off this album at least the you know the the four main songs yes yep oh my gosh i'm so excited to talk about this okay and so can i share just quickly how i discovered live too not to like absolutely please tell okay. me 
Okay, so picture a young me. It was I was probably like 15 or 16. And my concerts at, at this point had only been, I had been to two concerts and one Sesame Street Live and then Paula Abdul. <laughs> so that, that's oh music-wise. And I didn't really, my parents had listened to disco and I kind of knew you know a little bit about bands here and there, but I didn't really have a, a music taste yet, I would say. And um, we, I wasn't allowed to watch MTV for the first couple of years. And then I had finally turned like 15 or 16. And I think, <laughs> and I had begged my parents for, um, I think it was like maybe 1994, 1990, yeah, maybe 1994, 1995. And I had begged my parents for MTV. And that was my trade-off for doing well in school. And one of the first videos I saw was, just this strange bald guy with a long rat tail hair thing. And he was shirtless and running up to the camera. And it was like, I really was like thunderstruck where I just stood in front of the TV and was like, I've never seen anything like this before. And it was so odd and just different than anything I've ever seen. And it really spoke to me. Like it really, it was so weird. Cause it's like, it, I really had a moment where I connected and just felt like forever changed to be like, you know, quite weird, but just the moment, like how I felt. And then, it just happened that live uh, I'm from Pennsylvania and live is also from Pennsylvania and they were touring that, that month, I think. And so I begged my parents and my parents took me and we all went as a, a little three family and just seeing their performance, like really changed my whole life. And, and I was really like in awe of Ed's performance and, you know, just all the band so much so that I went home and really studied the CD notes and, like the liner notes. And then I just, I learned about uh, roles in the music industry. And then like that, you know, very long story short, that led me to pursue music industry in college. And then that ended up led to me working at a, vi- a music venue for 11 years. And so, so like the CD for real changed my, my whole trajectory, really, you know, it gave that's me amazing. Like, a career basically. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, we, we get a, a lot of different stories, but that, that's a, that's a really good one as far as it led you directly into the music industry. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. And then in a weird twist and turn of events through just boyfriends or ex-boyfriends and weird stuff, I actually ended up like meeting the guys in live and then. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. I just Through the music industry, I got to know some people that knew them. And then one of like the strangest, weirdest moments of my life was ending up in this crazy circumstance where I helped Ed. Ed was moving from California, like back to Connecticut. And I was there when he was like packing his turtle in his, in a car to move. So, so if you could have told like 17 year old me laying on my floor, looking at the liner notes of like that one day you'll be like packing Ed's turtle in like a, a oxygen safe tank. It was just, um, wow. Yeah. 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 So very, very weird and serendipitous, but, um, I just think lives music is so, so much more than I think a lot of people tag them a lot is just like kind of, Oh, a throwaway band, or I like them in the nineties, but I think a lot of their work is just so like really, really underrated. I agree. I, I think that they got, they kind of got lumped into the post Nirvana era. Mm-hmm. Obviously Pennsylvania is as far away from Seattle as, as you can almost get. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and their sound to me was not Seattle. They're, they're like the embodiment of just alternative you could say. Yeah, definitely. And they really covered like the East coast angst of, coming from a coal mine town and just as a teenager in Pennsylvania live really embodied to me uh, just like what it was like to live in kind of like a factory. I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. So like Northeast PA, very old coal mine town. And it's just, it's gray a lot. And it's very like, 
backwards in terms of just like opportunities. And so live really was like, you know, I know people can relate to bands that come from their town. And I felt like live was, was that for me because it covered my angst. <laughs> yeah. There were several songs on this that you could tell they were obviously describing their hometown and where they came from. And it hits home to me a little bit because I come from a very small town where there's not a lot of opportunity. Sometimes you strike gold and you do get a great opportunity there. And sometimes you need to get out and, you know, move to Atlanta. But <laughs> uh, it, I understand exactly where those lyrics were coming from. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And honestly, um, because I was just such a super fan of Ed's, his, then I became really entranced with just his own influence. And that was everything from Eastern philosophy to independent artists that he liked. And I feel like he really helped, um, or, you know, his, his likes helped me discover different music that I feel like I would have never discovered. This one, like Vic Chestnut is one artist that comes to mind that he recommended who I would have never known as I'm sure we'll talk about, but this album was produced by Jerry Harrison of the Talking Heads. And so that led me to like, you know, shamefully, I really hadn't even heard of the Talking Heads before. And so just hearing about other musicians that Ed admired and like REM and, you know, clearly I've heard of REM, but it made me appreciate a whole new um, like genre of music. Yeah. I was not expecting the, the deepness and the spiritualness of these lyrics. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I was the high school kid just humming along. I'm not paying, you know, a second thought to what, what I was humming, but the, uh, I mean, he, he touches on, you know, faith, religion, poverty, all kinds of stuff in this, this album. So much. And honestly, like this, this album and probably the album before mental jewelry have like a tinge of almost in like the Christian music flavor. And, um, you know, they kind of have the same, a lot of people have asked me like, Oh, are they a Christian band? And they're definitely not. But I think some of his messages are tied in with sometimes some of the the messages that are in Christian music, but but actually it's funny when people call it a Christian album because it's kind of anything but that. He questions God and religion a lot, especially in mm-hmm. the album before. So, and I, I did read a, a neat story. Uh, I didn't realize that the their band manager was the same manager of uh, the Ramones and Debbie Harry, mm-hmm. and and some of the offshoots of the Talking Heads. And that's how they linked up with uh, with Jerry Harris for the Talking Heads, who did their first album as well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then, yeah, it was always they were part of that, like kind of the CBGB, like the the second generation of yeah. it. And a club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania called the Chameleon Club. That was like the space in Pennsylvania. That was the the version of CBGBs. And I remember just like when I finally went to it when I was 18 or 19, I almost like cried on the floor. Cause I'm like, this is like a historical, you know, you're, you're at your concert and it's a rock and roll venue. And, um, I mean, and honestly in full disclosure, like I am not that nuts where I'm not going to say on record that the, their later stuff is that good. They really lost me in, of course I'm, I'm happy they're back together now. They have now rekindled and they're back touring together, but their album after five, you know, there's one that's like the Roman, numeral for five that what is what i feel is kind of their last best their last good cd and then like the ones after that it's just it's hard for me even as a super fan to even listen to because i feel like it's gotten so bad but i I did listen to secret samadhi a lot they're they're, they're the follow-up to this one and that's that's kind of where where i stopped listening to live uh you know life took me different directions but the uh but that was an excellent album itself oh my gosh secret samadhi and then the one after yeah distance to hear those are like 
two other in, like insane ones. And then, then I just tried so hard <laughs> to still keep liking it and I didn't, but it is funny where, when they play live, you know, no pun intended, when they play live concerts now, they really don't do any, like any newish stuff from like 2015 on. So we're all as secret life fans. We're all happy about that. Those are some really good album names. <laughs> so, Samadhi, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah totally. What's the first one you mentioned? Mental oh, mental jewelry. jewelry. That's a yeah. great name. He is. And, and Ed, like Ed in that category, I feel like there's nothing like a band like Pearl Jam or like Smashing Pumpkins or that they're in their high school years and they're feeling all those feelings. And when they first put out like their first or sophomore album, there's nothing as special as before they get really ingrained into the industry. And um, I think as live goes on, you can kind of hear them get a little bit softer and just, of course, like they're in now in their 40s or 50s, but it's like, that initial fire within them and mental jewelry is just amazing to me. And this album was heavy on the, and we'll get into it when we go into the tracks, but the, the quiet loud format, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's, that was their, their sweet spot. Yep. Absolutely. So walk me through the album, the way you listen to it. Do you go straight through or do you skip around? Oh, you gotta go straight through. <laughs> so do you ever talk about the cover art really quick? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's okay. a that's a memorable piece of art there. Um, it's a Scottish artist, and I think I think it's called Sisters of Mercy. Sisters of Mercy, yep. Oh, really? Okay, good. Oh, my gosh, I still by, remember. By, by artist Peter Housen. I made it. Yes. Note. Okay, yes. And a lot of people, like, it's a weird choice, especially as this is the album. Like, uh, Mental Jewelry had them on the cover, like, in kind of a purple faded form. And then this one... I like that the record label didn't want them to do some cool, like by a railroad pose or whatever. It, they chose a weird ass, a weird ass poster, a weird ass picture. And I feel like it ended up working in their favor because people just like that. It's such a weird kind of ugly image, but I know that that's really what the theme is of just the whole like throwing copper itself of just like kind of dealing with like ugliness in the world, but then like some betrayal and all that stuff. So I think like the album is one that also probably all sticks in our mind too. You know, the album art. Absolutely. I mean, as soon as you mentioned it, the, the actual cover art popped into my head before any of the songs, Mm -hmm. just just that, that specific cover art. Exactly. And they could have easily done like a no doubt type of thing of putting Ed in the front, like Gwen and then the rest of the back, but, and which they have done later on in albums. But I really, I like that such a, a band chose like a weird, photo or for their their biggest album i think that's cool i always thought it was just a weird you know i don't know artsy version of a band portrait because i thought the the you know the front and center thing guy on the the art was yes supposed to be the dude <laughs> yeah, and he's holding a bible i think right I, i'm not even looking at the art now too because I don't, I don't want my computer to freeze but but I, I, I just got that, that two-dimensional side view of that creature when you got the eye Yes. You know, looking at you, you know, I just always thought that was supposed to be like a, say, just a, you know, almost a Dolly style version of the band. Exactly. Uh, and my poor parents had to deal with me being like a, a 17 year old girl and having that poster everywhere in my room and then having like, I would wear that <laughs> as a t-shirt. And I'm like, I know why no boys liked me because I was like the weird one wearing the throwing copper t-shirt all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, this album for real definitely is one that I listen to from start to finish. Because I feel like it beginning with the, the song The Dam at Otter Creek is just like such a powerful way to start a to start and build up an album. And 
I feel like the first song, um, Damn, Damn at Otter Creek, and then the last song on the album, there's some hidden ones, but the last actual song, White Discussion, definitely has kind of like a post-apocalyptic feeling where it's kind of like we've done a lot of damage and now we're looking at what we've done and kind of like going over the damage we've done almost. And that, that's the feeling. So I just feel like the Damn at Otter Creek, it, from the start to the finish, it definitely tells a story. That was the feel I got from this track was exactly what you just said. The look at what we've done. I, I don't know if there's a story behind the dam at Otter Creek as far as historical, uh, but it, you know, it seems like they're talking about the people that built it and one of them died and, you know, I, I don't, and they're burying them there. I, I don't know. It's kind of very, very poetic lyrics. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like leave the hearse behind and leave the curse. And, and what a dark way to start. Like it's dark and stormy. And that is just, that's what got me. And, and they would start their live shows that way too. And people would just go insane when the lights would be off and then you would just hear the beginning riffs. And then everyone was like, ah! <laughs> and then, you know, Ed loves his effects. And so basically he would do the beginning part of it from the, the side and sometimes even bring out like a megaphone and everything. So I just feel like that, uh, the beginning, I could see a world where they start with something more like all over you or something kind of more cutting, but I like that they start with this weird dark track. I could see this one being very theatrical and a good intro for a live set. Absolutely. It was so because good. It, and I, it sets an atmosphere for the entire album right off the bat. Yes. And I really apologize to your audience that I'm so hyped up and annoying because, as you can tell, I'm like so passionate about this. So I'm I'm usually not this like cracked out. But <laughs> 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 so I really apologize if I'm like way over uh, if I need to like take a chill pill. But you're we're talking about for real like one of the top like eight things in my life that I'm excited about. Oh, I'm glad you came on to talk about it. This is great. Track two goes into selling the drama, which is really a great track. It really is, and I. Try- I've always loved this one. Me too. And I try not to like, of course, the radio ones. I'm like, like this and lightning crashes is, but, but this one I think is so special. And I think if, if someone wants a live, a great live performance of it, when they did MTV's Unplugged, I feel like this song really stood out to me. And, um, when I was driving right before this and listening to the album, I forgot his lyric. It said like, um, it's the way we sing that makes them dream. And that always stood out to me as I was like a teen listening to it. So I'm like, oh, that's so true. Like, it really is. Like, for me, that was exactly it. It was that. That is a good lyric. Yeah. Yep. I love the the wavy bass line of this track. It, it that do, 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 do. It's very memorable. And, that, and this is the first song I ever heard off this album. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh it is? Yeah. I heard this well before Lightning Crashes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that. And this one kind of also has that. The chorus has a little bit of like an REM, like we will, we talk. Like that's kind of my. Oh, yeah. Scene, which is definitely. I, I could like, definitely see a little comparison to REM on this. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I love this song and I think it's beautiful. 
And um, I'm glad that it got on on the radio. Like, I'm glad that it, it was definitely it's, it's a, a weird song once again to have like be a hit on the radio. But it's cool that it made its way and enough people liked it. Uh, on a side note, have you seen the video lately? No, I know he's standing in like a fire or he's standing on something big, but he has it? long Eddie Vedder hair. Oh, yes. Yeah, his long, long hair. I know. Ed has had so many weird-ass long hairstyles. I love it. And then finally, it was just like, fuck. Of their first three videos, you could tell there was a progression of, um, I don't know, just more more style, more more artistic uh, uh, choices made. Because uh, this first one, if you put Pearl Jam in there, singing Jeremy, doing exactly what they're doing, it's, it's, yes. it, would, it would work. The kind of catatonic rocking back and forth and like, yes, absolutely. Standing in the woods with some flannel and and they're just looking all solemn. It's a terrible video. (laughs) Just to put it. it. And there's like always a bonfire and they're just like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But then, and we'll get to to I Alone in a second, but the second video for I Alone, you've got the drummer with nothing to do in the video. He's dancing around the stage or the, the, the sound stage doing nothing. With just his stick, yep. Yeah, like what the what the hell's going on here? I know, I know. And Ed talked about it in the. um, They've done some interviews where Ed kind of explained it, and he said that like right offset, there was a really cute camera girl that was coaxing coaxing them, and they're just like, "Oh, okay, we'll do whatever you want." You're like hot and and you're twenty years old, and I think, (laughs) and it's so funny too because Chad, uh, the drummer Chad Gracie, is definitely like the quote-unquote cute one of the group, all the girls like Chad crazy. And so I think that was also one where he got his attention because of how, like you said, like there's no drum set. It's just him holding sticks. But I think they like, they definitely gave him his due in this video where he, he looks cute. It, the, the video for I Alone looks so awkward. It, uh, it, it's just, when you watch it, watch it nowadays, it's just, it's weird. And then, and obviously, and then the rat tail coming yes. down. Kowalski's got the just Hindu or monk style yes long braid and i always love that he that he was shirtless but he kind of has the like moby body or just like a um almost like the hair Krishna body where he's shirtless but he's like not really ripped but he's not in awful shape and it's kind of he was the original like linky dad bond which i like the moby body <laughs> yeah like you know like the spiritual uh rock star body but yeah i mean that that video was so weird and i miss the days of MTV, like showing highlighting videos like that, where they're not like overly produced. Yeah. Those two videos were, you know, bad, I would say, but then the video for lightning crashes is a work of art in itself. Mm-hmm. It's like a completely different level of, of just visual art. Definitely. I forget. Wait, is, is lightning crashes? Oh no, wait, is Iris number four? Or what's number? Uh, yeah, we're, well, I was I was jumping around just talking about the videos, but um. Oh, me too. Uh, I know. I was just, now I was just yeah. trying to think. Okay, I was trying to think because it's so funny. I have them ingrained no, in terms of like my number two is selling the drama, and then three is I alone, and then and, four is Iris. Okay, yeah, and I think I mean Iris is Iris is is one of my top favorites for sure. Like I think that's another underrated song. It's a decent rock tune. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's well placed. Uh, I had never heard it before. Don't remember this one at all. Really? Yep. Yeah. It's it's one that it's like 
of like it's like this child i forgot i love this child <laughs> when i was listening back i'm like it's such a solid song but yet it kind of just gets like forgotten about i don't think i've never seen them do it live even though a lot of like diehard live fans like me it's one it's always in the top like 12 of our picks of all live songs but they, ne- they tend not to do it live looking at the uh, lyrics as i was listening to it this guy needs some therapy so that there's some this is one that had some some weird weird ones uh it, like he's a it's about a person who's who's a, afraid to love and commit but all he wants is is the physical to a to an extreme side I don't yeah. know. yes I know why we can all really I mean maybe not everyone can relate to that but yeah <laughs> I, think, I think now in my 30s I can relate to that a little bit as like in a very long monogamous relationship but yeah but I think um yeah I mean I think it, I think it's a, a beautiful song but yeah totally and it's it's so funny and annoying to me that this song also got kind of like I think pushed down a little bit because Goo Goo Dolls had a song called Iris that was really famous and big and I think I, I don't know I just I think in the searches or whatever like it like now this song comes up like 30th just because I think this was a, like there was another popular song in the 90s called Iris that was even better so yeah it could be then we get to track five which is a, a very you know rarely played tune <laughs> you know yeah you, you never hear this one ever the angel opens her Oh my god! And you guys, please, if you go to see live, I will pay everyone to not scream lightning crashes. Play lightning. <laughs> like the amount of time I've had to hear that in my life, I want to cry. But I mean, obviously, it's a song that transcends the human experience, or you know, not to be ridiculous, but like it's one of those songs that just becomes bigger than the band itself and bigger than the album, really. And it's just a beautiful song, and obviously, it's about the cycle of life. And um, I think Ed had a vision of just what happens in every day in a hospital where you have a new baby born and then you have someone dying and it's just, it's tragedy and it's beauty. And um, I think it's just a song that like, obviously everyone experiences that in one way or another. So I love it. I mean, honestly, it's, it's not the song that it's not a song that like hits me in my top three or four, but I respect it for what it is. And if it made them, you know, bigger and able to play at more stadiums. Then I-, I think it's the kind of song that, you know, as a teenager, it just, it's an awesome tune. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and, and I'm speaking from my point of view, whereas me now, obviously many life experiences and, you know, kids uh, been, been through a lot. And, you know, the, the lyrics can mean a lot more nowadays. This is a song that can definitely at different points in your life mean different things. Yes, definitely. And then I think, um, I forget what album, I think it's distance to hear, or Birds of Prey, but Ed has a song called Heaven and it is about like his daughters. And I feel like that kind of has the same feeling as Lightning Crashes where you're just kind of looking at life from an aerial view and just how much we love people, but then how much we lose people. So I think that's like a an overall arching theme for sure. And then live, uh, they also have another song called Overcome, which kind of became the one of the main like songs of, of just 9-11 of just like all, a lot of the people just trying to rebuild. And they put a really beautiful video of it to um, just like showing firefighters and stuff. So it definitely like, I think Ed's really good at kind of writing almost like in like a Paul McCartney type way of just the songs that really like connect with people in their, like an overall view of life. 
I've I've been to York, Pennsylvania uh, for work in that area, but but did the United ninety three crash was that near there? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've only been in and out of say Scranton and York and you know Harris for for work now and then um, in Lancaster, but I, I don't know the geography of where the plane actually landed. I know I should crash. probably know that. So it's like, oh yeah. Um, well, you mentioned nine eleven. I didn't know if maybe due to geography they might may have been real big into support for that. Yeah, I don't know where Shanks, Pennsylvania. It's not. It might not be towards by where I just looked it up. It might not be towards where I am, but or where they were at. But um, yeah, maybe it is. I should know that. Oh yeah, I mean it's. It looks like it's in Amish County. So honestly, that may be because Lancaster and York is very close to that. I feel like there's probably people screaming at their computers right now, like. <laughs> in my old job when i had to travel up there to those sites so goldsboro and other places um there you, know, you go from one site to another through lancaster and we have warehouses and all up and down the eastern side of uh, pennsylvania and yeah. you pass those little towns that are you know i could have drove over copper creek i don't even know so they're, they're blinking you'll miss it kind of <laughs> yep absolutely and i think that had a lot to do with live where they came from because it's like yeah it's not how we mentioned before of uh, just seattle and it's it's crazy how people where they grow up their sound just really affects them and i love another band from pennsylvania's fuel remember fuel oh yeah <laughs> see they're yeah. like forever in my heart too i mean not as good as live obviously but but uh like that's like kind of the the it's like wet east grunge is, is definitely a weird thing I'm from Northern Illinois. At least I can claim the pumpkins. So I'll, yeah. I'll oh man. Oh my God. The whole yeah. The pumpkins are amazing. Yeah, I got pumpkins and uh, uh, well, the pumpkins. I guess I stand on that one. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. We won't be much out of it. But, um, I was just listening to some old pumpkins. Drummer, he passed away. Was it Jimmy Chamberlain or something? Jimmy Chamberlain. I don't know. One of the tr- yeah. yeah. Oh my God. What a what one of the best drummers. And I think he was really responsible for like a lot of the driving feeling of them of just like the um, yeah when he was not with the band due to his his drug issues the uh and, and corgan had just full range it, it was not the same i agree yeah i was i was learning about that and it's i feel like no one gives him the credit that is sad that he passed away but anyway i don't want to that's work wrong 90s band <laughs> well uh moving on to say track six which is top Okay, this is one of my like top favorites. <laughs> I, I take you can take this one in many different meanings, but Ed is kind of like I mean, I take it a little bit about religion or just the people telling him what to believe. Um, because it, it's kind of this like I'm not I'm not like going to live my life according to you type of feeling. Pick me up, put me on the ground. it could also be romantic about just kind of that feeling of someone like spinning you around like a you are a top you know if someone is is like just spinning you around in a relationship and then finally you're just like nope i'm not going to to live like this but i think it's just a lot about like sacrificing yourself to fit someone else's vision and how he decides he's not going to do that anymore and i took it as similar but not religion specific just the Mm -hmm you know, a cautionary tale against false idols in general. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yep. That's you summed it up better than I did for sure. Yeah. I mean, cause he mentions Hitler in there, which yeah. <laughs> n- n- nowadays wouldn't even get you on the streaming platforms. I know they just canceled. 
Uh, but I mean, so, and it's, so it, it's almost topical in today's environment, you know, depending on, on how you feel about, you know, things coming down from the top these days is with false idols. And, and there's, uh, uh, definitely, uh, good, good cautionary tale in there to anyone that listens to that one. And it's a, and it's a great track. It's a really good track and really good use of, um, the drummer, Chad Gracie. I love his like symbols in here too. Like I love his, the kind of like offbeat, uh, symbol playing. So like, yeah, this one's like kind of funky. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, then we get to track seven, which is all over you. Oh, another radio hit. Another popular radio hit. Very good at like malls. I feel like all over you is a great, like, like we're walking around the mall type of song. I love you. Would you consider this a love song? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think so. Like, <laughs> I think so. I, I don't know if it's more about like, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know the way that Ed Fee, I didn't, this one, I'm not sure of like what Ed's real intention is, or I don't even know if he's talked about it, but I definitely see it as obviously like he sees beauty in another person and or another thing. Um, that's kind of what I put like, like forbidden love or strange bedfellows. Like it's, it's kind of a love song, but kind of more of a longing maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And it's also maybe also like to go way deeper than he probably even means it, but like seeing when you see like the universe through someone else or through something, you know, he's like seeing the stars, the sky. And so um, that kind of like you're experiencing the universe as a, a bigger thing through love. Yeah. And it was, very, very catchy. I mean, this is one that, yes. you know, that, that chorus will, will repeat in your head over and over again. Yes, definitely. And like some of the, even like the lay me down, it, like Ed has that guttural mm -hmm. sound. I love all different things that Ed can do with his voice. And he is uh, like such a great vocalist. And I think this one kind of has the rougher, more rock uh, vocals to this one. But I think it's like, he's a very powerful singer. That was one of the things I liked about '90s alternative music in general was the different voices of the the front, uh, the band front people, uh, whether it's say Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Pearl Jam, Radiohead, Live. They all had such unique voices. They weren't all just you know I can sing this amazing range. They they just had such unique sounds to them. Absolutely yes. I mean, there's nothing like Billy Corgan the the tone of it, and and I think with Ed too, he had such a recognizable voice that. Um, it's hard for me to listen to like mo modern music. I, I hate to be one of those people now where I'm like, back in my day, there were, there were real singers, <laughs> but I've officially turned into that when I hear like a lot of the auto-tuned uh, stuff. And I'm always on the lookout if, if your people or you or whoever, like I'm, I'm still, if you like live and, and you feel like there's some like new modern bands I should check out, please message me it because I'm always interested in hearing bands that, they don't have to sound like live obviously, but they could, but bands that like people think, okay, if you like live, like this is today who you might really like. I just found out yesterday that uh sunny day real estate, which our episode on sunny day goes uh, live on Monday as we're recording this uh, from their debut album diary, but they are reuniting and uh, they're putting out a new album in a tour uh, in a couple months. So oh, cool! I'm excited about that now. That's awesome. That's super cool. Is is the one that is Shit Town next? Uh, it is Shit Town. Oh yeah, because I, I know. Shit -town. 
I love that it, it was a smart choice to have it end all over you and then go into shit town because it's like, oh, a sweet, happy thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> nope, like don't bother You know, obviously, like, I think the town of York had had some feelings about them putting out the song, called, <laughs> as we mentioned, called Shit Town. But, I mean, that is, they encapsulated the feeling, like I mentioned before, just growing up in the kind of backwards, industrial, northeastern Pennsylvania town. And as someone that was at the time just, like, really raring to get out, it, it, that was exactly my my anthem. <laughs> and even even my parents like they still live back in Pennsylvania but my parents like will still know all the lyrics and they're like we're gonna get out of this shit town and I'm like well it's been like 30 years <laughs> so so your parents who wouldn't let you watch MTV they they like live now they yes now they totally do and they finally they took me to the concerts and I think they just knew that once I they probably knew like okay once she gets MTV it's gonna be a game changer but yeah they're very supportive and I mean they've just had to like I'm I'm a rock and roll girl and me working at the music venue for as many years as I did, they've just had to grow into me being insane. Now that's cool. That they, you know, appreciated the music you liked. That's good. Very much so. Absolutely. And I also got them hooked. Of course, of the more parent friendly, uh, bare naked ladies. They love them. <laughs> oh, that's a great band. I've, I've yeah, seen them great. live. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's a fun show. The, um, yeah, but yeah, shit town's pretty, pretty self-explanatory on what they're trying to say there. And, and I'm, uh, I'm surprised that, well, I'm not surprised. I never even really thought about it, but did, uh, does the city of York like embrace them as hometown heroes? Now they do. Yeah. Now they definitely do. I know that they, they were all really active in marching band and just band in general. So I think they're really looked up for just as like examples that you could be a musician, um, and just the arts in general, but, but yeah. And, and especially there's a lot of artists, uh, that they helped, grow and the guitar player chad taylor helps produce a lot of bands in their own recording studio so they definitely like gave back to the community that's and, good uh, yeah yeah for sure that's but good. i think i think with this song of course they some people probably didn't like it but I love everybody it. has their their angst against their hometown i mean uh, my my little farming community of 300 people I've, I've got some some negative things to say sure but it holds, still holds a place in my heart you know where was it can you tell us Ah, no, it's, it's just, it's the Illinois Valley. It's, it's North central Illinois, right in the middle of nowhere. All 300 people are going to be very upset of you. <laughs> I have the number one podcast in the Illinois Valley. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Probably second to like a cow or something. Or like, yeah, that, that's awesome. That's, that's cool though, but good for you. And now maybe you feel the same way, but like going back to Pennsylvania, now I feel so much gratitude for growing up there because you know, I mean, not to knock, I'm not to knock California, but I'm, I'm very thankful to have a grown up and kind of the East coast. And I feel like I'm just a little bit more gritty and more, um, like not, I don't want to say sharp. That's a mean thing to say, but like, I don't know. There's you're like kind of tougher in your soul when you, when you come from like a cold, awful place. I don't, I think I would have been even more annoying if I grew up in San Diego, I would have been like <laughs> zero brain cells, but yeah. <laughs> But then Shit Town goes into TBD. Damn, this one is all Patrick Dahlheimer, the bass player. Yeah, this, I'm just gonna be honest, this one didn't really do it for me. Really? 
Okay, please listen again one time when you're like, I don't know if you take drugs or anything. I don't, but if you, <laughs> you, no one has to take drugs, but this one, obviously, if you like, and and I I like this one because I kind of got into like the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And so I, uh, it's, this song is good if you're like laying in the dark with headphones on and um, I think headphones is where it's at. But I can see it. It's a little bit like slow. Well, and like, it, yeah, it's it's a slow moving bass line for like three and a half minutes, and then well, and then all of a sudden they rock out for like thirty seconds. Yes. And then they they go back to slow until the end. It's like what, what I know. This was such an odd yeah, odd yeah, track yeah. for me. And this was this was another one that when they played live, it kind of was like a good almost like middle thing because it just kind of helped like break up time. But I, I hear you where it's time to get a beer when they play that one, I guess. Yeah. Def- oh, that's so funny. I would be like front row crying, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, so it's funny. They go shit town, which is a, you know, a, a rock and tune. And then you got the TBD, which is a slow, slow moving, you know, four minute song. And then, uh-huh. then stage, which rocks right out the gate. Yes. Okay. So stage and top are probably my two favorites. Stage is frenetic and very punk rock. And that's the one that shows that if people were going to mosh, they would do that, you know? Yeah. I could yeah. see that. Yeah, that one is very just like it, it, it unleashes from the beginning and it stays that way the whole time. Yeah, this was this was a good track. I guess it's about a rock and roll relationship, giving up the stage, should he or shouldn't he sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. He was a rock and roll messiah. She was known for her child care. So also just a very <laughs> I think this I'm just I'm just talking about it. <laughs> I know. Those are the lyrics, though. Those are the lyrics. They are the lyrics. I'm just now I can like have a conversation with with the lyrics. They're so ingrained in me. But I think Ed was really obsessed, and we'll hear this in the next track, which I think is Waitress. But like, I think he really had a a thing for just the normal, boring kind of lower middle class person in in this album, because that's what came from York, Pennsylvania. You know, so I think he was kind of obsessed with the working class Mm -hmm. and um, industrial work like industrial class i totally get that from these lyrics yeah because <laughs> then 11 is waitress with uh this was a fun song kind of about you know pleading to leave a tip yeah Girl's got family she needs cash to buy aspirin for her pain everybody's good enough for some change Yes. And this is where I think a lot of Ed's obscurity comes through of just describing the waitress with like a funky braid. Um, this one, everyone laughs because it has like a, a whistle break. He, he whistles and he's a very talented whistler. So he would like, it, it, like everyone now, like when he whistled on when during live shows, everyone would go crazy. But yeah, it's just all about helping others out. And this is one of the songs that I think today carries over where it's just like, we're all so divided, but just being kind to each other is a lost art. Yeah. I mean, he says flat out that the waitress was mean 
gave bad service, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, by, by those standards doesn't deserve a tip, but then he goes all in as far as down to the basic claim that just humanity must stick together. So let's give her a tip. Yes. Yes. Some fucking change. <laughs> yeah, just some fucking change. <laughs> I want to know the origin of that song. If that came from like just almost a Reservoir dog style round table of the band deciding whether or not to tip a waitress. I could just totally picture the band at like a mm-hmm. diner and yeah, and the waitress is a bitch and she hates her job, but it's like, just give her the 98 cents, whatever. <laughs> and that, now I think about the world where like I, I tip on, I have to tip basically on like a $7 coffee because I guess it's all electronic. And so I miss the days of just being like, let's just throw this crumpled, like $2, $2. Yeah, like, just throw the change on the table. And yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, and it was half the price. The tip is half the meal anyway when you're at the truck stop. <laughs> yes. And that's that's one thing I kind of like about live is that they did have like a, a, an earnest message, I think, about like coming together and, and um, yeah, just being kind to one another. And in their weird way, they, they did that. And so I think I like that's, that. That's a good point. I mean, a lot of bands that kind of push these messages can come across as very pompous and elite. Yes. Where, whereas they do not. You, this sounds very grounded in, like you said, the blue collar origins of the where they came from. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Which leads right into Pillar of Davidson. Oh my gosh! I had to search what this was about, and because uh, I was very, very curious, I had to listen to the lyrics, and and I guess it's about the the caterpillar and Harley Davidson plants in York. Yes. Yep. Yep. And once again, it's about just kind of that industrial life and uh, we're not machines that can only make money. So it's basically like, you know, the bosses just seeing people as expendable, almost like robots at this point. Yeah, exactly. This one, like, uh, people may feel that it's draggy, but to me, like, I feel it, I feel like it's really beautiful. Um, and I think it definitely builds to the end. And it, it does have, like, a just kind of like a sweeping feeling to it at the end to me. Yeah, this one was near seven minutes, but it didn't feel that long. So, yeah, this, this, was, a, this was a good one. I like yeah. this one. Yes, I think some of this album has to be enjoyed. Like some of it, you can just be driving and listening, and then ones like this are just like ones to slow down to. Well, like TBD felt like it was ten minutes long. <laughs> I love that you did like TBD. I, I, I need you to try it like four more times because I love it. Like I, said, I don't know if you partake in cannabis, but I feel like doing that was like, like oh, I'm gonna change your game for you. <laughs> I got to work in the morning. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the uh but uh this one as at seven minutes you know just it, it was uh compact i guess you could say it, it it felt felt structured it didn't didn't drag like tbd did to me interesting I, uh, that is totally interesting and then we get to number 13 which is white discussion oh yeah yep and this one closes it out and uh this one is kind of like nuts like you almost picture like it has that I don't know why I keep I have trouble saying that word, but apocalyptic feeling of like the world has ended and now someone's coming on the news program to basically be like, I warned you, I told you, and so. And if the final sunset rose behind the earth, 
And the clock is finally dead Yeah, the song is crazy. They always saved it for last when they played as well, just because it really goes out on a high note. And it's kind of like, you know, look where all this talking got us. And I think at this point, and it still holds true today, where in politics and in the news, there's just so much talking and not a lot of real change. Yeah, that's exactly what I put. There's a lot of circular talk about wanting change, but nobody takes the steps to enact that change. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And it's, it's pretty much, yeah, like we've damaged the earth. Now look at where, where it's got it. And on like a micro level, I kind of feel that even with relationships too, sometimes it's like, you just talk and talk with some people sometimes and like things don't change, but um, yeah. So I, I like this one once again, like a, this is one of the more popular ones on the album. This one isn't like one of my personal favorites, but it's fun and it's wild. So well, you mentioned it closes out their live shows often, and I could see that because there, there's a, it, it's a gradual buildup, and then the second half is almost like a, a jam session. It feels yeah. like, and so I could, I could totally see them stretching that for you know, um, probably ten minutes if they really. I don't, I've never seen them live, so I don't know what their their long jams look like, but I could totally see them stretching this song and then being fun to listen to. I think this song also brings me trauma because I know that it's their last one. So seeing it live, I'm just like, oh no, they're going to go out on guitar feedback <laughs> and then my whole life is going to come crashing down. So it's almost like this one's bittersweet to me where uh, this one always just symbolizes like the end, <laughs> whether it's the end of the night or whatever. So yeah. Well, they don't close out the live shows with horse. No, the hidden track. Good, you covered it. There, you really know what you're doing. Yep. So, yeah, Horse has a very uh, country feel to it. Very kind of like steel guitar type. I liked this one a lot, and I'm, I'm not a huge country fan, but I just I, I liked his voice and their playing of a country esque song to close uh-huh. out the album. I, I like that. It has a weird twang and mm-hmm. and I love it. And yeah, that's, I think that's like Ed, just, or, you know, all of them really as just such diverse musicians. And you don't find a lot of rock bands putting in such varied types of music in one album. To me, it screams of, uh, we need something for time. Not, like kind of, you know, to, to balance out uh-huh. uh, uh, a cassette or a CD. And uh, they, they were just kind of messing around and, you know, let's, let's make a, a semi love song with a country twang to it. You know, and Absolutely. N- nothing too deep. Just, just having fun. Exactly. Yep. And I would be remiss to say if um, on the, we won't go through, there's three of them. We won't talk about, talk about it, but on the, they re-released the tracks for the 25th anniversary of this album. And they put on my all time favorite live song, which is a song called hold me up growing up. That was always like, the B side to some albums. So it's, you know, they'd have a throwing copper on like a cassette tape and then the B side would always have hold me up on it. And so, but they never played it live and I really like couldn't find it besides other cassette tapes. And then when they re-released it, I was just like so thrilled. So um, it was, it was in the movie, Zach and me, Mimi make a porno or Zach and Miri make a porno. I don't know what the, but anyway, that's, yeah. So that's from that. And it's called hold me up. And so I think that's like my, my favorite, favorite live song. Now, did you follow Ed into his solo career? Yes. Yep, I did. 
How I, I know nothing of it. I just know he did it. Yeah, he did it. it. It was beginning to, you know, I would go to kind of like the more sad shows at like casinos when it was 200 of us and it was all beginning to feel like almost too intimate. Um, but I mean, I always thought he was so talented and I, I, I went to maybe like five or six live shows. Then it was like, just so funny because like I have, I have one, I have two live tattoos. I have one of uh, their lyrics oh, on my wow. back. And then, but then when I like met him and ultimately like I kind of dated someone that ended up like working with them, which is a weird, very weird thing. But like, I always tried to hide my tattoos. And so anytime I met him, I, even if it was 80 degrees, I'd always wear like a sweater to try to cover up my lyrics because it was so embarrassing. And they still, I, he always must've thought I had like some weird condition where it was like 90 degrees and I was probably like a- So you never showed him? Um, in a very ridiculous twist of events, my he was getting interviewed on a radio station in San Diego, and my friend was the DJ. And my friend said, "Like you know, our friend Meryl, right?" And he said, "Yeah." And he's like, "Do you know that Meryl has your lyrics tattooed on on her back?" And Ed was like, "No." And, and but then Ed was like, "So I was humiliated, and uh, like I was just so embarrassed because." It almost was weird. Like I took so long to tell him that you know when you're trying to tell someone something and it's like so much time goes by that it's like now it's just creepy and so anyway like ed totally joked around with me about it and like made me feel like 10 percent less insane so um because it was like that, I interact- that's good that he's cool with it and he was he was so know, cool I mean, with it and yeah. he wasn't freaked out. yeah because i had just like i met him as a normal person where i was working in a music venue and i met him as just like a random human and he didn't know i was this like beyond super fan and then enough time went by where now it was like Oh, this girl like has posters of me in her bedroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, hopefully he hears this episode and be like, Meryl, hey, you are the super fan. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and so, um, yeah, I followed his career. Honestly, I liked his career way better than the uh, the guys of Live kind of splintered off too, and they did a band called The Gracious Few, and I did not like them. Uh, I didn't like their music at all, and it was hard to listen to. Or you know, I went to one of their shows, and it was just like. It, it's it's so weird because with bands like Bare Naked Ladies or or Live, it's just it's like you take the factor away and like like Ed is you can't have Live without Ed, you know. So um, they had a few like guest vocalists, and I'm just like this is blasphemy. I mean, you really can't have any of them. I I don't know if you feel like the bands, but it's like it's not live for me without a different drummer or with a different drummer or whatever. So they finally well, like, like I mentioned earlier the. <sighs> with those voices of the alternative scene in the nineties, mm-hmm. so hard to replace, uh, you know, look what happened with say with stone temple pilots, uh, yes. when they lost their singer and, and other, uh, and obviously Nirvana, you know, all those tragedies were, where those, those guys met their, uh, untimely, you know, and yes. it was, they, they, you can't replace that, um, those unique voices. Absolutely. And it's like, with Stone Temple Pilots, exactly. Like, and I, I was a fan of the DeLeo brothers and what they had to do musically just on their own end. But, but yeah, like trying to have a new singer and calling it STP is just like, you're not, no one's going to like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I felt like that. And um, I was so happy when live had a reunion and I went to go see them at this um, a festival in Napa. And it was like, I was sick to my stomach the day before because it was like it had been I think 10 years since they broke up and seeing them like driving to the festival knowing that I'm about to see all four of them again was just like so crazy <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I, I feel for and, people and did they, they sound alright like didn't miss a beat oh they or? sounded so freaking good 
they found them so That's good. And, you can, and also, it wasn't a money grab. They seemed genuinely happy to be together, and I feel like they spent enough time to kind of get over their hurt feelings. Because I feel like a lot of bands will just reunite, and you could tell they still secretly like hate each other. But um, I think they waited until it was authentically fun for them. So, yeah, like. I feel for people, there's people listening who like, if you have a favorite band and they broke up and then it's such a sad thing when they're just no longer. So I'm, I feel like very enthused that my favorite band is back together now. Well, hopefully they get a few more tours in there and, and, and if hopefully it'll come through Atlanta, maybe I can talk my wife into heading down there. And you're going to request TBD, right? (laughs) I will request horse. I want to hear horse. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thank you. I'm so, like I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so hyper about this whole interview, but I'm kind of not sorry. No, I'm, I was really glad that you suggested this one. Cause say this was a big part of my, uh, my high school days. Cause it was, my high school was, was 94 to 98. So this came out in 94. It was just there. And they get, they get unfairly lumped into the post Kurt Cobain alternative scene where, where right. no one quite lived up, but two completely different bands, two completely different scenes to me. I mean, Seattle is one thing. And then there's, there's several other elements of, of alternative. And, and like I said, I throw Radiohead into alternative. I mean, that's a very, very big tent, the term alternative and live had that unique sound that really stood out. And this album was just phenomenal. It really was. It really was. And then, then I think the magic still continues to secret Samadhi, like we mentioned, and then Ed just kind of continues to uh, explore his spirituality. And then, so it's like, people don't have to, you don't have to commit yourself, but I would really, if you like this album, at least give the next one a try because it's like, it's a different chapter for sure, but um, they still rock it. Yeah. Lakini's juice. Great song. Oh my God, Lakini's Juice. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's another great one. And so, and this album really, Throwing Copper, helped them get into Woodstock. And I think Woodstock really put them in the map too. I'm just kind of like, okay, they're one of the the bands. Yeah, they did uh, Woodstock 94 or 99. Mudslinging. With uh, Mudslinging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, like, and I don't don't mean to like hate on, on Green Day or hate on other bands, but like, it just shows to me how when I listen back to Lot, to Throwing Copper, I'm still like, hell yes. Like, I think these songs are so good still. And then I just went to a festival and saw Green Day and I couldn't even watch for like 30 minutes. It's just like, they give me a headache. And so, yeah, there's some bands that just like stand the test of time. And for me, they're one of them. Green Day, uh, as a comparison, I, uh, Dookie was a great album. Um, but after that, it's more individual tracks to me. Uh-huh. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll put out a great track and then there'll be four or five lesser tracks. But like I said at the beginning, this is this is a full album, and it's yeah. and that it's it's complete. Yes, yep, yep. And I I also like I hate to throw my ska loving side under the bus, but like now when I I used to love the Boss Tones, and then now when I go to listen to their like the impression that I get CD, I'm like oh now I have a headache too. But you know whatever makes people happy. Um, but yeah, yeah it's amazing how your music aesthetics change over time, and yet there's still those standout albums from your past that just you always come back to yes yep i just went to the uh the celebration of of jagged little pill of alanis and that was one where we were just like now my best friend was like breastfeeding her child and we're just like still screaming the lyrics and uh garbage was the one that opened up for that for her and like they uh. rocked and like all those tori amos like she's another one tori was another one that like really 
weaved spirituality into her playing. And I missed that in the nineties. I missed some of the like, exploration in music for sure. That's like really spoke to me a lot. Yeah. We gave our, uh, our friend Luke on our classic rock round table, a lot of crap for having jagged little pill in his car. All oh the my time. gosh. And Luke knows what's up. His response was the girls always wanted to listen to it. And I can't Honestly. fault that logic. <laughs> If there's any single single dudes where you had at a lot as it was just like ten thousand women just screaming. So yeah. And honestly, there were so many like metal dudes at Alanis. And I think I think now like men are starting to realize like that she could rock out. And now that we've kind of it's gotten a little bit more balanced, like she's a great musician, not just like a angry female. So um yeah. <laughs> so uh throwing copper made the top of your list. What was on your short list? On my short list? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, uh, um, As in, what if, if you had to talk about, you know, three to five other albums that you would have talked about, but Throwing Copper was never made? Oh, my gosh. Um, that's a really good one. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, so many others. I know. Um, well, I mean, Alanis, obviously. We're not going to dive too deep into them. We're just, just, okay. just throwing them out there. Okay. Um, you know, this is so random and out of nowhere, but um, I really liked the, there's like Richie Havens. Do you know who he is? I've heard of him. I can't, I couldn't tell you a song though. Definitely back in like the seventies. I don't know the names of his albums. Like, you know, he's not one that I, I don't like know an album, but he's a musician that really stands out to me um, in terms of, he was kind of more in like the, the early Woodstock, like one of the very first Woodstock ones and he blends like jazz and New Orleans type music so I feel like Richie Havens is one to me that I love I wish I like knew the albums I'm I'm unprepared for that but oh you know uh Concrete Blonde uh specifically the lead singer Jeanette Napolitano I feel like she's a really amazing vocalist and working at a music venue for 11 years she was someone that like came in and I didn't know that much about and she really like blew the roof off our venue and has such an amazing voice. Um, there's, I think it's called Someday is like one of those standout tracks from, from her work. Um, I'm trying to think about like who I've seen live who, I mean, obviously like Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac, like that's, you know, just kind of like a, I love, I love them. And that's like amazing. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's like, there's hundreds of bands and music I like, but in terms of like standout albums, I don't have like a ton of other ones. I, I'm bad about listening to like a lot of other albums through and through. Um, but I have like a hundred musicians that I like, but, um, Oh, another, I like world music a lot. Femi Kuti. I don't know. Uh, Sean, Sean Kuti. Uh, it's like, um, Femi That's Kuti. a new one to me. Okay. Check him out. He's, he's a beautiful family, like really great soulful world music. And it's, okay. uh, F-E-M-I, and then his last name is K-U-T-I, and he has a, a family, um, two sons, I think, and they went on to have world music, and so just a really great, uh, like, kind of, you know, blues, reggae, all that stuff, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I have a million artists that I like, but only live albums. <laughs> I, I could throw all of the other ones away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's very diverse in terms of my artist portfolio, not very diverse in terms of... At, at a minimum, I'm going to check out Mental Jewelry because I want to hear their beginnings there. So that's... that's oh my uh, gosh, Mental Jewelry is the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. They were... Um, that song like Operation Spirit kind of, you know, made its way onto 120 Minutes with Matt Pinfield and... Another person that I was lucky to meet at a 
working at the venue. I'm like, you're Matt Penfield. Oh, really? oh my God. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Right? You got to meet all those people. Oh my gosh. It was really like, it was, it almost happened so fast. I'm just, even though I was there for a long time, now that I have some space of working there, just the artists that I got to see. And it was a, um, a smaller venue. It was just, or, you know, 600 people. So it was intimate, but we would have people like, Vanessa Carlton and the, the owner would always joke that we would get people on the way up and on the way down. So we'd have like foster the people one night and then buddy guy the next night. And I got to podcast with like Robert Cray and I Jimmy Buffett. And so it's just like, I feel like I really got to see a, a diverse, um, just like treat into music. So that's always something I'm so grateful for. That's really cool. Yeah. I got to see Jimmy Buffett front row at uh, Bonnaroo. That's like a oh, secret cool. show. That was really neat. Like if you, if you signed up for their mailing list or, or secret like app at the time, then you got a, a push notification, go to this stage now. And we did. And then, holy shit, it's Jimmy Buffett. Like, Oh my gosh. That's cool. Yeah. He, uh, podcasting with him too. He's like the nicest human in the entire world. So it's always, I like, bet. Yeah. yeah he, he's, he just comes across as someone you're like, yeah, I want to have a drink with you. I just want to sit yeah. and shoot the shit. He, he, he wanted to like talk forever. I'm like, Mr. Buffett, I have to go home. <laughs> like, but, um, and then you're going to laugh so hard, but honestly, another like kind of album, I forget what it's called, but I really used to love the band Guster a lot. Oh yeah. I remember them. Yeah. They were yeah. kind of like the Guster OAR, Our Lady Peace. Like those were mm-hmm. kind of my college bands, which now I don't, they don't bother me as much. My friends would also give me shit because I love like Sister Hazel and, and all those. I'm, I'm a 90s girl through and through. I'll listen to OAR often. They're one of, oh, yeah. one of my favorites. So, mm-hmm. Well, uh, before we wrap this up, uh, please tell our listeners what you're working on and where they could find you or anything you would like to pitch. Thank you so much. Okay, so the first thing is my podcast called The Campfire Shit Show, SHT, and we talk to people about their shit show moments in life. So that is one, and that's out every Tuesday. And my second thing is that I have a T-shirt company called Pre-Canceled. So (laughs) talk about we talked about a little bit about (laughs) what lyrics would get live canceled here, and I decided to cancel myself before society cancels me. So uh, that's precanceledinc.com. And then I think that's it, right? Yeah, I have, then that's of everything. That's, that's enough for people. And then on Instagram, if you people, excuse me, want to follow me, I'm at Meryl Klimo, M-E-R-Y-L-K-L-E-M-O-W. Outstanding. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put links to all those. Well, that's it. Yep. But I had such a fun time and you do a great job. Uh, If you, if you got any uh, music friends that want to come on our show, by all means, Ed, if you're listening. And I love you. Reach out. I'll, uh, <laughs> you can come on and say how you've got the, you know, the shit show opening lines tattooed on his back, right? Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, well, Meryl, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to sit and talk with you about lives throwing copper. Thank you so much. I had a wonderful time. Uh, Thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. And as I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.